Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. They will yeah, need a code cool. word. That would be cooler. <laughs> Clive Black. Martin, at Tesco's in Daventry, <laughs> when someone's nicking, they go, there's a caller at the back gate. <laughs> I swear that is to do with, with I swear it's to do with um, shoplifting and nothing to do with no callers at the back gate. So maybe I'm someone sh- has to say that. I'm sure, I'm sure I've heard things over the years. You know, a code whatever in aisle whatever was like a fight. When I was a kid, I worked very briefly at Beacon Bingo, yeah. And they told me, mind up, if there's a fire, don't say fire. Say, Mr. Beacon is in, like, wherever the fire is. Like, what a restaurant called, like. All our customers, all our clientele, the pensioners, if you say there's a fire in the, in the gourmet uh, restaurant, it could kill them off. So if there's a fire in the gourmet restaurant, just say, Mr. Beacon is in the gourmet restaurant. Hello and welcome to What Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the podcast equivalent of a Dean Trot overhead kick into the top corner. I'm Tom Reed and tonight I'm joined by Wallet regular Martin Maloney, whose favourite film is Star Wars Episode 4 and New Hope. He's been resisting the dark side of Peterborough United for many a year. How are you, Martin? I'm good and that is one dark side that will always be resisted. Yeah, you know, stay, stay on the light, the light side of the Nen. Are you, uh, are you still on a high after the... Wembley Heroics of Cobblers last week. Absolutely, absolutely buzzing. I was on a, a conference call earlier with um, some colleagues, uh, one of whom's a Tranmere Rovers fan, one of whom's a Bristol Rovers fan. Both of them were like, why have you not got a Cobblers top on? <laughs> it was uh, I was wearing a Dulwich top and they were disappointed. So, yeah, <laughs> it's good times, good times. It's nice that the Cobblers are getting some, you know, headlines in the papers and stuff and we're getting a bit of attention for bit success for a change rather than the usual you know, stories of footballing struggles but next up we got Ian Brandt whose go-to movie is Cannonball Run that's Burt Reynolds at his finest 1980s film how you doing Ian still wearing your cobbler's just a hat I took that off now I want to see a Cannonball Run remake with the current current cobbler's squad I want um, Adam Morton and the sheriff in one car going cross country Nicky Adams and Curly Whirly in another the Dane and okay. I mean, another cruising in a Ferrari. That's uh, I think I think I might get onto Kelvin with that idea. Surely Sam Hoskins has to be involved with his attempt at Burt Reynolds' moustache. <laughs> 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 uh, 
I think this idea's got legs, and you know, Netflix are on always in the lookout for their latest, latest uh, big hits. I think we should pitch that. It's a sporting uh, 80s movie crossover. Can't fail. Yeah, last but not least, it's Eurosport's finest, Andy Bodfish, whose favourite film is Hot Tub Time Machine. He's a real film connoisseur. <laughs> but you could wish you could be transported back to the Cobblers playoff winner, Andy. Yeah, getting the time machine back to uh, just after that Wembley victory, obviously. Uh, yeah, buzzing. Just disclaimer, I've never seen Hot Tub um, Time Machine. Uh, it's a cult favourite of one of my mates. He inserts it into um, conversation at every opportunity, even when it's completely incongruous. <laughs> but the funny thing is, Andy, and we've got to, we've got to tell the story, is that when I went round, uh, whose favourite film is, you came up with hot tub pool party which <laughs> uh, Ian clearly interjected do you think that's a bit Freud do you think that's Freudian it's either what you yes. do up to the weekend or we think it's it's um, a North Ants TV uh, erstwhile franchise uh, you know hot tub in the back of Cheers Bar Rushton's Garden no it's, no it's what Posted we've been doing <laughs> Well, it's funny you said, yeah, because we've been doing that every... We've tried to do it once a week for the last uh, 17 years, three or four of us that used to work at North Ants TV. We go up to Cheers Bar. Uh, we take it in turns to fill the hot tub. And we just sit in there and have a beer and reminisce about the good days, you know. Uh, so Someone often does karaoke, usually Angels by Robbie Williams or Torn by Natalie and Bruglia. And, uh, you know, great great fun was is had by all and has been had by all for about the last 17 years, yeah. I do worry, though, that Derek Redmond was quite the celebrity. You know, he was famous for not quite getting around the track, really making waves in the media industry. And then he did Hot Tub Pool Party on North Ants TV. Never never heard of since. So, yeah, I think it was yeah. great for his career. Just be, be, just be careful what you wish for, really. Let's get on to boring Northampton Town stuff. And although it's the close season, we don't even know when the season's going to start again, let's face it, but... It's close season and there's a little bit of news coming out. First up, newsworthy is the new contract for Keith Carroll. He's got a two-year deal. Um, let's start with you, Mike. Are you happy with that, Keith Carroll, getting this new deal? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, we we talked kind of prior to the playoffs and through the playoffs. So some of us were kind of thinking, yeah, Curl's a, he's the right man, you know, depending on what comes out of it. Some were like, well, if we're not successful, maybe go in a different direction. I think the result of the playoffs, he, you know, he's 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 uh, he's earned that. Gives us a good chance of continuity. You know, the last period of success we had, we lost Wilder and hell, you know, Wilder's gone on to do much bigger and, and better things than us. But it, it kind of went pear-shaped with some bad selections. I think even if you're uninspired by 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 Keith Curl you'd be like, right, okay, we've gone up, we've stuck with the same person who seems to have his feet on the ground a little. We we shouldn't this you know, this won't be the Rob Page cobblers. <laughs> you know, that that for me at least gives you you know, we're gonna be go up there and we're gonna give it a go with, you know, a lot of the players that got that got us up there and, and the same manager and staff. So yeah, I think yeah, good news. Um, you know, tough tough times ahead. Um, it's you know it's a higher level. Um, we'll we'll see how we go, but yeah, right decision. I think any other decision after the playoffs would have been would have been strange. That's a fair shout, Martin. Ian, what's your take on Keith Gold getting his new contract? 
is uh, we were saying the other day on the WhatsApp, he is the first promoted Cobblers manager to stay on following a promotion since Kevin Wilson, isn't he? And, and mm. Kevin Wilson inherited a reasonably good good squad. And, and prior to that, it was it um, it was Atkins. Um, yeah, he's, he's good. Good to have a bit of continuity. By the way, talking of Cobblers related films, do you know which two films the Cobblers had private screen of prior to the playoff final in 2013? I was I was uh, referring to Clark Carlisle's autobiography earlier, and they had two screen screenings at the at the Sydney World that week. Can anyone guess what they were? No. Oh, can can you give us a clue? Yeah, they were both instalments of long running franchises, one involving cars. <laughs> Was it Fast and Furious? Furious? Fast 2. It was Fast and Furious, well done. Yeah, yeah but no, which one, so though? 19? It was, it was Fast and Furious 6. And the other one was okay. about a uh, the other one was about uh, an ambitious um, millionaire superhero. And, it, and I'm not talking about um, David Bauer, either. It was uh, <laughs> Iron Man. Uh, uh, right, okay. Good show. That's a good bit of film trivia. I can't completely forgotten about what we're talking about now. We've gone down the uh... Keith Carroll's contract. Oh, Keith Carroll, yeah, Keith Carroll, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> continuity is um, really important, and considering a lot of the teams that we've had that have been successful, are sort of carved up quite a lot after promotion. Uh, there's quite a few players kept on, so I think continuity continuity is really important. The only, you know, I'm a bit of word of caution is I reckon with Keith Carroll's style of play it's fine as long as we're winning but I'm just interested to see what will happen if we're not basically with it because it's just yeah it's I think it's still it's still problematic in uh, the way we control the ball and stuff and I think you know the noise might come out if you know we start losing but at the same time we've got to sort of think about the bigger picture and football is in such a, a weird way that we're probably lucky to have a manager like Keith. It could be, you know, in, in six months' time, if the us fall out of the industry, we might, you know, really need someone like Keith Carl with his, his experience. So look at the positives of it. And he de- definitely he deserves his his chance after that promotion. You earn it, I think. I think we were talking about Ian Sampson the other week and how he probably deserved a better, you know, time of it after winning at Liverpool. So yeah, all for Keith Carl. What about you, Andy? Are you pleased? Absolutely. Um, I think you've got to sort of count, count your blessings. Mark, Martin just said it a few moments ago. It would, just would have been really strange if, if Keith Curl had departed, um, you know, having produced those, produced those two performances, second leg of the semi and the final. I agree with what you say about it doesn't alter the fact that you may have reservations about the style of football. And certainly... Mm-hmm when things are going well, um, as we saw with that home winning run at the uh, at the turn of the year. Things were great. And then it all sort of faded a bit. And what was it, five defeats in seven before the, um, you know, before sort of everything shut down? Um, but yeah, I mean, having delivered uh, those performances and that playoff comeback, um, you know, you, you earn it, don't you? You earn, you earn a new contract and you earn the the right to continue the project however that will look after you know the the rotation of the personnel is finalized this summer but 
I think in the in the current climate, to have a, a manager who's been as recently successful as Curl and then still there and looking to push on to the next level in a division above, I mean, we've we just got to be happy, I think, and we've just got to sort of, you know, be thankful for the situation when many fans of other clubs are, are not talking about these things at all, are they? We're talking about a promotion team with a manager who's just committed again, and that's a good thing. I think um, with... Carl, he's talked about a project, and he's actually talked to he's actually talked contradictorily. I think he's he's talked a little bit about changing his style and moving forwards, but then he's also said, "I'm not going to change my style." So there's a bit of a conflict there on how how things are going to progress if we progress up, you know, into the upper echelons of League One. But that's that's Keith Carroll's challenge now. He says he wants to bring identity to the football club, so he's got his, he's got a two year deal. He's got players that are pretty much in his own mold so it's 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 up to him now to show it show us what he can do i think at a higher level which i'm not sure he's done for but that sort of links into his retain list actually because on his retain list there are a couple of surprises actually mainly let's talk about the players who haven't been offered new contracts and the standout names on that list which i'm not sure everyone expected were alan mccormack not getting a new contract who played brilliantly in the playoffs and uh, Jordan Turnbull is the other one let's go to um, you Ian what do you reckon to those two are you are you sort of surprised by that or not really um, well it was it was it was a sad really because it was like the day after wasn't it and you know yeah. you wouldn't in it with the trophy the next minute they've gone um, McCormack I think it was his age and the fact that he's hardly played um, you know, it was almost as if he was brought in to do one job and that's get promoted and obviously, you know, he's at towards the end of his career. Turnbull was like was a bit was a bit of a, a riddle, wasn't it? What what Kyle said. He said, I I would have offered him another deal, but if I'd have offered him another deal, he would have been on less money. He might have accepted it and been happy to stay, but if he'd have been happy to stay on less money, then he wouldn't have really been happy. So it's not really fair to offer him another deal. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that was a funny one. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you wonder if he's got people he's thinking he wants to bring in already. And that's what he's already thinking. He's already got McCormack and Turnbull's um, replacements lined up. The others, it wasn't a huge shock, was it? I said last time it was good to see Andy Williams get that fourth goal because it was very likely he'd be going. So, you know, it was nice that he got his little time in the spotlight and, and scored um yeah it, we'll see what he does who are we to doubt him though you know experienced manager who's just got us promoted so we'll see who he brings in over the uh <coughs> however long it is how when the, the new season starts what about you um martin mccormack and turnbull amongst maybe some of the more shock names leaving uh, the goalie die Cornell, maybe less so. People like Williams, um, you know, Paul Anderson. What about you? Um, uh, I, I think Ian's fairly fairly nailed it. Um, I think we, with with Turnbull, I I think Turnbull's on decent. I, I don't know any of the details, but he was on you know good League One money. Um, in the current climate. He'd have been taking a pay, having gone up and taken a pay cut, would just feel. I get what Curly was saying there that 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 doesn't feel the right thing to do to somebody, and he's not just just looking on Twitter just now. The amount of clubs who are making approaches for him, 
he'll he'll be fine. Um, I think McCormack, yeah, perfect. You know, he came in, did a job. He'll probably play more games next. He'll probably play 35, 36 games for someone in League Two next year, and he'll be great. But you know, he he left us with probably for anybody for a standard of performance on average for the ones he played right up there with with Charlie Good and and no one even close to to what those two did week you know week in week out when they were available um yeah it, i think it's you know lower down the list it it's fine it's it's what you expect curls earned the right to make those decisions you know he's he's got to shape it how he with his vision and what he does and it'll be interesting to see you know who are the, who are the players that come in with the budget that they freed up and you know ultimately you know we we can't really judge at this point but you know, halfway through next season, are we fighting against relegation? Are we looking lost? Are we, you know, we can't say we are we page one or page two when that league table comes out, or you know, are we are we flying? And you know, that's what the managers paid to do, and they are tough decisions. Um, it was yeah, a, a day after the playoff final, it, it feels hard, but I think he's always been quite open about the way that he he likes to treat people and. You know, ultimately, you hear this. You tend to hear the stories later if people, if managers don't treat people very well. You know, we've heard stuff about about Hasselbank and about about Page and and others, and you hear it at other clubs. But he see, does seem to be someone who actually understands the human angle, and I think, you know, we'll we'll see how we go. But I think it, I'm excited to see who comes in, but then more excited mm-hmm. to see right when do we start playing um, and what does it look like? Are we competitive? And I'm pretty sure we will. I can't see us not being hard to beat. Um, yeah. Um, I think you get a lot of bang for your buck with, with Keith Cole and, you know, whatever team he puts out there, I would, I would expect, expect us to be at least mid table in league one with just the way he sets his games out. We're going to win and draw probably more than, you know, we would have done under previous managers, so I expect us to be very yeah. difficult to beat. Um, Andy, you haven't seen like massive of cobblers, but you, you've seen enough of people like Alan McCormack, especially with your extensive, you know, viewing of football games, to know that he was an integral part of the cobblers team when he was playing. But I said it every time I watched him, I'll be like, getting around the 60 minute mark, he will, he will likely yeah. be withdrawn. And I think <clears> he made it about 70 minutes in the playoffs, Andy. Um, do you think that you can afford at Cobbers level to have a player that perhaps doesn't reach 90 minutes every week? Well, um, the higher up you get, it's a different in terms of you know the the level that you're playing. It's a different set of variables, I suppose. I think I agree with what's already been said um, in terms of no one no one was expecting uh, McCormack to extend his stay, so it didn't come as much of a surprise that I agree with. Um, what Ian said about uh, Turnbull and slightly, I mean, Keith Kerr, fantastic. I mean, sometimes that sort of stream of consciousness way he talks sometimes, isn't it? The words sometimes yeah. just sort of tumble, tumble out and in the end it kind of makes sense. But yeah. you have to track back and go, hang on, how did he get to that thing he just said? But he somehow got there, but I kind of <laughs> know what you mean. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's, earned, he's, earned the, um, he's earned the right. He's earned the right for for us to have a little bit of faith in the players and the whatever he sees into who he wants to bring in and how the team will play next season. Um, and yeah, you got to be reasonably confident, I suppose, and have faith in his choices. Given 
how things panned out at the end of the season, really. But I mean, McCormack, again, to not to labour the point, is going to be a massive, massive blow. That experience, that presence, so important in League Two. Um, but you know, Keith keep, keep unearthed him, so it's to say he won't find the right sort of fit for for League One as well. I think you're you're right about Keith Carroll's ability to say a lot but not a lot at the same time. I'm surprised Boris Johnson hasn't uh, wheeled him out for the COVID-19 uh, press conferences every day because he's just got that ability. When I was listening to him saying about the release players, like Ian said, about Jordan Turnbull, I think it was financial, but I couldn't pin him down on it. So, um, yeah, he's... It's of, almost like yeah. chaos theory, like Trump at the end. You're like, what? Who? What? What did you just say? What? I've got the yeah. point, but I don't quite know how you, you got it across, you know. But I anyway. think in terms of... In terms of the retain list, one of the things I was actually expecting more, and it was a bit of um, a wild card that didn't happen, was for the cobblers to make budget cuts and retain a few more of the homegrown players. And we'll move on to this now. That it was actually really sad to look at the retain list and see players that had been from at the club since kids, basically. People like Ryan Hughes, Jay Williams was a big, big one for me that was. A bit sad to see him leave. Um, Sean Whaler, Bradley Lashley, Jack Newell, all these young homegrown lads that leave the club without really even getting a sniff of the first team. Jay Williams yeah. had a little bit of action. And that feeds into something that's got my goat this week is the um, player pathway, which is yeah. talked about a lot. And that was, yeah, I wouldn't say a lot, actually, but it's, it's talked about, especially in promo stuff for the club, and there's a lot of hype about homegrown players but I just found it a bit slightly galling that in a week when all those players got released that were homegrown that the um, you know education side of it the academy side were tweeting about the player pathway now is there really a player pathway and you know is there any point in having a player pathway if you know at the end of the pathway the, the gate isn't propped open for players like Joe Williams to come through so it's a bit of a, a little bit of a hot potato with Keith Carroll when you look at the figures, um, <clears throat> Cobblers last season, second lowest in League Two for minutes for under 23 players. Let's go to let's go to you first, Ian. What, what's your take on the, the player pathway and, and the importance of fielding homegrown players? It's funny because weren't, weren't M. Salford bottom of that table? Yeah, yeah, they, but they got a lot of money. So yeah, that's did, all, I'm not surprised. Yeah, but didn't the car... I remember watching those documentaries about the class of 92. Didn't they say, yeah, you know, we want another place for young players to get trained and come through and get into the yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, of all the of all the League Two clubs, that's like the, the club that does that least. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, there was one, there was one, or it's not a new thing for the Cobblers, is it? I mean, everyone kind of remembers the ones that do make it through the youth system and do go on to better things. People obviously, you know, going back to Phil Neal because that and Ivan Tony and people like that and they because they end up being big heroes don't they because everyone likes to see a homegrown player come through I think I think with football it's a, it's a funny one because we've been in this position before I remember when um, there's a lad I know he was a goalie in the youth team back in the um, back in the Atkins era he was telling me a few years ago that they had a really good um, they had a really good youth team back then and there was quite a lot of them you know sort of uh, thought of that they were going to go on to bigger and better things. And I think um, Atkins pretty much released all of them and, in, and instead did his usual thing of journeyman experience yeah. 
views from other clubs. And I mean, a lot of them ended up playing non-league. And I mean, this lad's a goalie. He's not long. I think he's not long retired himself because, you know, goalies do tend to go on longer, don't they? But, you know, it's a bit like, it's one of those things, isn't it? I think if, if you've got, if you play a certain way and you've got a position, if you want a, a player to play in a certain way, in a certain position, and you have got that ready-made in your youth team, you'll bring them in. Um, if you if if you've got a youth team full of certain type of players who play a certain type of way, but you're looking at your budget for the next season and you're thinking, well, actually, we don't really need anybody doing that on a yeah. on a professional contract because we've already got that. Oh, I'm planning on getting this one in. That's the kind of business decisions yeah. that, that managers make. I mean, you know, going back to Atkins, one of the first things he, one of the first people he got rid of was, was Darren Harmon, wasn't it? And, and most people who remember Darren Harmon will say he's probably one of the most talented young players ever to play for the Cobblers. And he was fantastic, but he was tiny. And you're not going to play for an Atkins team if you're, if you're that size. Yeah. So, you know, a lot goes down to, to, to managers and, and what they're looking for. You know, I mean, I'm sure if if Kern had someone like Callum Wharton coming through the youth system, he'd have either yeah, he'd have been in the team for next season. You know what I mean? But the same way that Wilder took a gamble on on Tony that season, it's it's, it's just one of those things where it's it's business, isn't it? I mean, there's a couple of them have have gone through. Yeah, one of my problems with it is that it feels like the only way a homegrown player from Cobbers is going to establish themselves in the first team is if they're a precocious talent with, um, you know, a mature physicality. And youth development doesn't really work like that. You're not going to get a complete player. You're going to be able to throw in and, um, and do the business. You've got, you've got to take, there is a bit of hope and you've got to take a sort of a, a leap of faith with, with, with young players and, that's not something I'm sure Keith Keith Kerr will do. Now, when you're a manager, of course, it's a whole different thing because basically if you lose five or six games on the bounce, you're in trouble with, you, with your job, really. So you've got to keep an eye on that. And then obviously you want success very quickly and fans want success very quickly. So it's not a simple scenario. But I just think that when you're second bottom of the league and you've got teams like Crew top of the league, um, and top top of the actual physical league two, and also nearly top, well, probably top of the minutes for under twenty three league. They're doing something the right, and I think there is room for improvement. Um, Andy, you you've commentated and watched a lot of <coughs> youth level football, so you know quite a lot, of, you know, about that level of football. How important is it for clubs to be bringing home, uh, bringing through homegrown players, Andy? Well, it it. It is, of course, it it is. I mean, you know, in this in this strange, occasionally dislocated modern world, obviously maintaining that connection um, between the first team and uh, you know products of the community is important and will continue to to be so. But the whole idea of player pathways, youth systems at clubs, it depends on the level, but. I mean, Ian said it, it's business, isn't it? I mean, the 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 idealism of a youth system and what it can potentially produce, and when that runs into, oh, we've just you know, we need a win, 
at the end of the day. Just get someone in. And I think there's there's always going to be that um, there's always going to be that friction between the way you want life to be and business and you know hard nosed decisions. I mean, at the end of the day, a manager is going to do anything that he he can within himself to make his life easier and to cut down the um, you know cut down the factors that are going to potentially undermine him. And bringing in bringing through young untried players is very much in that category. So although although we want things to be a certain way, and there, there are, of course there are guys that come through, but you know when the numbers men look at look at what's happening in terms of how much academies and player pathways cost to run and well who's come through from this what are we doing this for you know the way people think wearing suits at football clubs i just think there's always going to be friction and you're always going to get managers trying to reduce um potential problems for themselves by going for experience it's a huge broad broad stroke uh, what a broad brushstroke thing to say but i think you're always you're always going to find that friction particularly at lower levels i mean you scale it up you it's a bit bit of a comedy thing in football isn't it look at the amount of young players on Chelsea's books that don't play for Chelsea they play for Vitesse Arnhem they play for um so you know that's kind of it scaled up a bit isn't it yeah these guys are these guys are amazing footballers they play top flight football in the Netherlands but but the Chelsea manager doesn't fancy them you know way to West Ham or whatever and that scaled down is what is what happens at clubs like the Cobblers and of course they're not unique um, trying to develop a sort of you know consistent youth policy is admirable and needed, but it just runs into reality, doesn't it? And the fact that you're at that level and you you need to get a bloody win away yeah. to Grimsby on a Tuesday night, you know whatever it is. But at the same time, we're talking about football being a business. If you can produce a homegrown player with potential to a first team level and yeah. get some scouts looking at them, and these players come with a, with a premium. And it yep. is actually a uh, part of a successful club's business plan to be able to sell these players on. And I spoke to Exeter City about this. And what they told me is, what you've got to remember is, when you bring a player through, you, you actually invest in them quite a lot. So you, you really need to be bringing them into the first team to get a return on your investment on them for over a number of years. Let's say you have a kid from 12 years Makes old. Makes perfect first, sense, yeah. The first point. The second point is they're very cheap. Not very cheap, but they're cheaper assets so they're cheaper you know the wages aren't necessarily as high so they're, they're, they're good they're good value for money and the third thing is if you bring a, a homegrown player into your first team that your manager might not necessarily see a complete player or may not even rate them to an extent but scouts from well, a higher a... level are looking at a different thing than than for instance Keith Wilkowin looking at for instance someone like Scott yeah. Potter might be looking at how he can change a game at a higher level with particular attributes and Exeter said that they've sold players on that wouldn't necessarily think would go for such money but they've got so much money for them because the the scouts are seeing slightly different things so uh, if you're not bringing the homegrown players through to the first team maybe we're we're losing out on that potential you know to sell things on and i, and I think that's that's definitely the case there's an awful lot of, sort of potential loss there but it, it just involves risk and it involves you know if you're bringing these players into the first team it just involves risk I don't know. That's probably a sort of ghostly presence behind the whole academy system at a lot of clubs lower down the pyramid, you know. That, that's, that's right. But there's obviously an ob- obvious contradiction there between there has to be a leap of faith to blood young players because very few young players are, are complete. 
but also the, the risk factor in maybe managers and whoever else not wanting to take that risk. So there's a clear contradiction yeah. there. Maybe maybe we're seeing that in, in action. Um, Martin, what's your what's your take on the player pathway in the fans and how we utilise our home game players? Um, yeah, I mean we obviously we've we've talked before, and I I probably have a a, a diff a different view, or perhaps I'm less concerned about yeah. it. I mean, right. I think we need to take a step back from thinking about on, emo- on an emotional or purely financial level. Football is really hard. The higher you step up, and I say as someone who's playing in Northampton Veterans League, and I played Sunday Alliance Division 3, I think, at my highest level, football is really hard. The higher you go up, the better players play, the tougher, the tougher it gets. The players that have come through our system and have made it to be become first team regulars and obviously McWilliams now um, it's it is quite rare that somebody makes it to that level and mm. I think if we're doing stuff wrong we would be kicking ourselves not about so- selling Ivan Toady for next to nothing to Newcastle because we were skint we would be kicking ourselves about the fact in two years' time that Morgan Roberts is playing League One for someone else because we, we didn't fancy him. We didn't give him enough of a chance. Jay Williams is, instead of getting sent off for not getting rated playing at Kettering, is turned out to be a championship player. Ultimately, we're looking for diamonds in the rough. And it won't come off very often. But notwithstanding that, and you know, on a personal note, my nephew plays at plays at Lincoln for their under 15s. Having a youth a youth program, a pathway, it is massive for being connected to your community because people yeah. say you add a human element. But I don't think you should rely on it too much. And I certainly don't think you should not, you know, when you've got a good idea of by the time someone's 18 or 19, if they're gonna be good enough or not. I think you make a decision and you add these things because it is a business. If we want to be successful, want to win promotion, the last two promotions we've won have been where the manager has brought in blokes of 27, 28, 29 that have done it before. You've got the absolute alternative and it's a conversation that stuck with me um, the season we stayed up under Wilder, chatting to a couple of Dagenham fans before their game was... They, they've been the youth, their youth pro. They're like, we're in London. We haven't, you know, we've already got two pennies to rub together. We don't need to invest in that because we've, we've got all these clubs around with youth programmes. We will look for the players they release. We'll give them a chance, 18, if we think they're good enough and they'll tend to play. And they would effectively sell one player a year that kept them in business. And it only really fell over once they hit a couple of couple of barren years, yeah. Um, I if, think um, my my take on it is is this: is that when you listen to the wider conversation about youth development and the critical pit, um, age range of about eighteen to twenty three, and this is something that the England team is specifically focused on, especially with the lack of opportunities in the Premier League for English players, is that that eighteen to twenty three period of first team football is absolutely crucial. Now, if you don't get first team football in that crucial age range of any any level of the premier league or league two are you being are you missing out on that really important period of, of your progression as a footballer now 
people have said, well, the few team players aren't good enough that I've been released. And I find that contentious for a couple of reasons. First one, I'll be saying that the Cobblers youth system isn't producing players in significant numbers that are capable of playing league football. I don't think that's the case. Or might it be a chicken and the egg thing that you never know how a homegrown player is going to come on for first team football if they don't get it. Well, now, that's exactly it, isn't it? Now, the, but, but the, the counter argument to that is, like Martin said, is that, right, well, we have Houston players and they drop down to Kettering or Diamonds and don't come back up. But it's really difficult if you're used to being coached at a football league level to go down to that level and spring yourself back up. It's actually a trap for a lot of good technical players down to non-league that don't ever make it back out. So don't really buy that argument either. And when you listen to people like Stuart Weber at Norwich, who's a really talented technical director and Norwich are putting a lot of faith in their youth players, he says you have to ignore the noise about youth players and you have to trust them and you have to put them in and take the plunge with them and, and be patient with them. And I just don't think at Northampton we're seeing that at the moment. And of course, success trumps everything. And, you know, people want to see us higher at the league as possible. But I'm just saying we can do better than being second in League Two, second bottom in League Two for a number of minutes for younger players. Because let's face it, we're talking about progression and cobblers have risen up the leagues before and dropped straight back down. What is coming up from below to keep this success going? Or is it going to have to be uh, Keith Cole has to find a Nicky Adams every other season? What do you think? Um, could I, Tom? Could I? Could I just? Because I think there is a there is some sense of what you say about what how players develop and what they do. The the alternative because I think you will clubs will always, however much we wish it away, will will try and play the team that's going to keep them up, get them up. The alternative would be that you have to play a certain number of players below a certain below a certain age to almost skew it. In that way, I know they've tried to do certain things, certain things in the Premier League, in other leagues. I, I think if the short-term success to be gained by not by not playing youth players, and you know, I I would be doing that if I was the manager of the Cobblers, because I want to get every three points I could. If I've got to play players under 20 or players developed through my club, I think that may change the dynamic. Mm. Maybe that will happen with. <laughs> With the way football is going, and that was why, going back to my original point, I was surprised that some of the youth team players that are probably on less money have been released in favour of some high earners. That maybe if the economy of football does continue to decline, that there might be more chances, and they might even have to write in rules to have more homegrown players put in. But I guess the, the contrast or the you know alternative option is what Martin sort of alluded to: is you scrap the youth team and you say, look, these players are realistically aren't either at the level they're not really going to get a chance and you go with a B team like uh, uh, Brentford have they don't have a youth team anymore because of various things the cost of academies are so expensive you know bang for your buck you get a youth, you get a, a B team in and you, you just you fill it with players that can play to Keith Curl's style from maybe non-league or players that he likes you know Benayden Oliver Mark II or you know whoever and maybe it's not a nice thought and I probably wouldn't agree with it but Martin do you reckon a, a B team might be a realistic prospect? Well I mean, I'm not I'm not too familiar what Brentford have done, but if it's around effectively saying there will be good there will be players in better youth programs than we've got who are released, who you want to get football to, I reckon you'd be hunting in some good in some fertile ground there. Mm. Because 
you know, there isn't anything unique about the water out the River Nen. It is, you know, if the players coming through don't make it here, um, there's lots of places that doesn't happen. But the players that don't make it here are possibly not as good as some of the players. The best of those are not as good as some of the players that don't make it at Birmingham City, Villa, Nottingham Forest, Leicester City. And there will be players there at 18-19 that maybe, well, if we offered them some, you know, a way back into football, they'd be starting a little bit higher than, you know, the guy who has been with the club since he was seven or eight. The only thing with that is there's a lot of people actually doing that now. German football clubs are starting a lot of the release players from Premier League academies because they're just so profligate in throwing them away basically so maybe not as easy easier said than done uh, i don't i don't really I, I don't really get i don't really i don't really think northampton is different from anywhere else i don't think northampton is different the only thing i would say is that the elite player performance plan has been absolutely terrible for northampton youth because we've lost so many players uh, that you would never even see see the light of day and uh, a good example of this is fraser hornby who was taken from cobblers by everton under the elite player performance plan far as I know, never never really asserted himself in the Everton first team and now he's been sold to Wren and that means we lost one of, a player that could potentially have played for us for a first team, probably you know, if scoring loads of gold worth quite a bit of money, it's now gone to Wren and we don't get any compensation for that so that's an important point about the elite player performance fan. but I don't think that Northampton is different from Barcelona or you know, athletic Bilbao, who put a lot of stuff into youth development. The, the, the talent is there, and I just think it's how you you reply it and how you coach the talent and how you identify it that that could be improved. But um, Ian, what do you reckon? Um, I think I don't know. Sometimes as well, it depends what you want for your club. You know, Exeter, um, obviously they've not got big backers, so they've decided that they're yes, they're obviously going to try and get promoted and, and do as well as they can. But they've also decided that a big part of their income is going to be selling players. I mean, at the other end, you know, Coventry, they're a team owned by a hedge fund. And they and they took the view of, well, we've pumped enough money into this club trying to get back into, you know, the Premier League since we took over. Let's, let's, let's get some players out of that youth system. And they have. <laughs> you know, they've got, they had James Madison came through their youth system. Callum Wilson came through their youth system. Um, mm. others that are playing, you know, like Cyrus Christie, I think he's at Fulham now. You know what I mean? They've had a lot of players come through that, that system down the years. They got promoted this year, um, sort of similar circumstances to us because the season ended early and don't know how many uh, youth teams they've got in there. I think I think you need to get the balance right. I think you need to, you know, I mean, crew of crew of always famous for it as well, weren't they? And and they've they've bounced around sort of, leagues one and two really haven't they as much as we have um and the, the difference being they've brought in a lot of players through that through, through their youth system and it and it's kept the club going financially we've took a slightly different route um and we're in a similar position i, th- I think i think you just need to get the balance right and i think it's like i said earlier i think you have it, it depends what the manager's looking for like you know, the years we have gone up, it, it, it always has been when we've brought in people who, who have done it before and are experienced. You can still get the balance right and, and have a few. Um, I mean, the year we went up and uh, Calderwood, um, you know, he, he, he brought in um, a lot of people, didn't he? Ian Taylor. I remember when Ian Taylor got subbed in his 
in his final game for retirement, they brought Michael Jacobs on for him, didn't they? You know, mm. so you know, sometimes it is just about getting the mix right. You can't necessarily forsake everything and say, right, we're gonna we're gonna be like um, we're gonna be like the Basque teams, only have players <laughs> from our <laughs> local area play for yeah. us because that's the rule. You know, you've you've got to be born on this side of the net. You know, I think I think you've got to get the balance right. But yeah, like Martin said, you do have to have that connection. And and yeah, I mean, I, I was in the away end at, at, at Dagenham when when Tony scored those two goals, and yeah. one of the reasons, not just the goals, one of the reasons why everyone went absolutely crazy when their goals went in, because yeah. he was a young lad from from and and he's just scored a bicycle kick <laughs> and, and a header on his on his full debut, and he's going to keep us in the league. It was absolutely magical, wasn't it? So you know, when it does, when when managers can pull it off. Um, <coughs> It's, it's, it's fantastic, but I don't think you should forsake everything for it. Yeah, I think you're right with the balance. And I just, my personal opinion is that the balance isn't, isn't, isn't particularly right at the moment, especially with the minutes for the, the homegrown players in the under-23s. And um, it's, it's something to Keith, Keith to work on, and especially when they, they talk a lot about identity of the football club. And as you've spoken really well, Ian, on that sort of link to people like Ivan Tony, Michael Jacobs, that it builds a connection between the fan base and the town itself, which sometimes the club has struggled for a bit. So plenty of work to do, but Cobblers never uh, finished that article. So let's see how <laughs> Keith does with the homegrown players going forward. Um, that's probably enough serious talk of Cobblers. Um, we're going to talk a little bit now on a complete change of um, course, a bit like the one show. We're going to go to Death Row Dogs. No, uh, we're going to go to. We're going to talk about players that we bumped into in the street or wherever else from Northampton, from Cobblers. Um, I've bumped into a few, seen a few from afar. Let's go with you, Ian. What uh, what Cobblers players have you bumped into in your time? Well, it's obviously this summer there's been a lot of talk about um, key workers and, and how important they are to society. I've got a bit of a uh, information for you guys. I think it was uh, 1998, there I was on, on the checkout at Sainsbury's on that fateful evening of the Bristol Rovers game when who should come to my till to buy the water to fuel the lads that night than the £1 million man Christian Lee. So <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually indirectly um, responsible for that, for that great playoff win that night. Isn't that good? <laughs> So what, Christian? Lee, what that was? What an hour before the match, isn't it? Well, yeah, I don't know. it's about, the afternoon about five. Yeah, about five thirty in the evening. He he came That's in and he's like, quality. check out, check check, you know, convey about full of big bottles of water. Obviously, and Atkins has already <laughs> obviously sent sent him along to get the water for the, for the team on that on what that he, What he done in training, or what he done? You know what right. I mean? That was a penalty, wasn't it? Or maybe they all took turns or something. I don't Honestly, know. I have. We could do a separate podcast on Cobblers players I've seen, mainly in Sainsbury's, actually. And a mate of mine saw Eric Sabin in there <laughs> buying a buying a bottle of Yazoo. I remember one time. <laughs> this, was, this was later on when I wasn't when I wasn't working. I saw um, Giles Coke, and I think it was the Scouse Mark Hughes. Do you remember him? There were, we yeah, had a couple yeah. of Mark Hughes. Oh yeah, yeah. When- I, Went to Morecambe. And they were in there, and Giles Coke was... uh, I could hear Mark Hughes like winding up Giles Coke because he was actually looking at the cron, 
he had the con in his hand and he would go, no, you're just look, you're only looking at that to see what, what, what rating you got and what they're saying about you. You've just um, sort of um, dislodged a memory of, I was in the library one time in Northampton, the central library in town, and I was in the queue and there was quite a tall guy in front of me and I looked at him and this is like a, a player well, no one will remember, probably Ian might, you know, a couple of you might, but it was got a guy called Dean Beckwith. He was a centre-back. Oh, centre-off, centre-off. Yeah. Yeah, and I was um, I was in the queue and I was like, wow, I put, I put, and he was getting a book out of the library. And I was thinking, as a football player that reads, this is like really impressive. We found some sort of intellectual, right? So oh, I was like, in the queue, like, I was like, I'm going to look. I'm going to look what book he gets out. It's probably, you know, War and Peace or something. I looked at it and he got it out <laughs> and, it was, and it was an illustrated version of Dracula. I was like, oh my god, he's like just finished trading, he wants to like like read it and he gets out of the Dracula Dracula uh, illustrated book. And I, I had to sort of like stifle my laugh. I was like, yeah, it's a good one, Dean. And then another one, this is actually my story, but my mate Phil, who'd be listening to this probably, he was on the train and all he told me, he texted me, I've just seen John Joe O'Toole on the train wearing a tracksuit bottom and a string vest. <laughs> that was hell of a look. John Joe O'Toole and I was like what time of day was that I don't know actually I think it was a weekend but yeah John Joe O'Toole was on the train wearing his tracky bottoms and his string vest and I was like this is this is you know like um, made me respect the guy even more actually the last <laughs> the last story of uh, I'm into a cobbler's player actually it wasn't a cobbler's player there was uh, when I was little we were at some event or something and there was a geezer that looked like F&E lad. <laughs> oh, man. We all thought it was F&E lad. And one of my mates went up to him and said, are you F&E lad? And he was like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm not being racist or anything. I don't, I don't understand racist, but I think he was just the black fella with um, <laughs> slightly like <laughs> But it came from a place of love because we were like, we didn't remember F&E lad, we were like, um, yeah, we were sort of in awe of f But I never actually got to meet f and But you were... Uh, Martin, ever bumped into a cobbler's player? Well, I've, I've, I've bumped into three, but I've got to say, after your um, F1E, I was all over with the lads many years ago. We were in Benidorm at um, yeah, well, well-known night spot champions, which basically <laughs> oh, great. really cheap beer. And um, I think someone had seen Mr Motivator was out there doing something on um, oh, on TV that's... in the mornings. Anyway, we're in this pub boogieing about some rubbish in the early 90s. And um, we we only see it, don't we? The red baseball cap, middle, middle-aged black guy. Might hope as well, we're all there. We're taking photos and everything. It, you know, we've seen the man himself. So only we got back from holiday, because, of course, these days you had films developed. This terrified-looking bloke who looked nothing like Mr. Motivator other than the colour of his skin and having a tash was thinking, who are these idiots? Who <laughs> are all surrounding me? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you bumped into Rafferty Lad in on holiday. I was like, that's an even better story. Who, who are your other ones, Martin? No, no. So, I mean, my, my other, fr- other three, I bumped into them all on the one night. So, obviously, the post-Chris Wilder season was, was shocking. But a couple, there was some good stuff. There was some good stuff. We had a great win at Oxford United. Um, Sean Long, Sean Long, Chris Long. He got he got the win. I can't remember if he got both, but he got the, he got the winner. 
And the same night, I had a few mates playing a gig uh, down down at the Pomfret Arms, I think it was. Um, and I was like, right, OK, I'll get back. I'll come down to your gig. And there was an Ireland World Cup qualifier in the middle. Um, so I was like, oh, it was pretty full. So I figured I could watch the first half of the Ireland game in the Swan and Helmet, listen to the rest of it walking down at the bottom of Bridge Street. So I'm in the Swan and I'm, I'm having a couple of beers. Ireland were um, playing Denmark and, and doing OK. You sort of glance, you know, I know him from somewhere. That's my namesake. It's Brendan Maloney. And I'd spoken to Brendan a couple of times at pre-season friendlies and that. So I really he clocks me and it's like, and them two other fellas. And it was Mark Richards and David Buchanan. And to be fair, they come, I had a chat with them and they said, look, we're not supposed to be out because I think it was a game yet on the Tuesday. Keep it yourself. But I'm like, it was absolutely tops. Blokes out after they play football, have a couple of beers, don't tell the boss, you know, and tell everyone, calm down. So, yeah, I think that was my, my favourite my favorite <laughs> moment. And all thoroughly nice. Now you've, you've told everyone on the podcast. <laughs> now none of them work for the club. I can talk, I can talk about it. Retrospective fines. Retrospective fines. <laughs> So if anyone listening has seen a Cobblers player out on the on the piss, just um, text us in or you know you know just give us a uh, Chicago Rock Cafe end of the nineties. Oh, uh, here we go, Andy. Half of the course, mate. Half of the course. <laughs> Every night, Andy. Well, I mean, but nothing specific. It was just oh, it's just a blur, guys. You know, it was it's just a just a blur of of beers and sizzling platters and oh, suits. Man. And, um, yeah, just Chicago Rock Cafe being the epicentre of, um, well, the Midlands, Northamptonshire and, and Britain, Britain as a whole, really. Once all Kevin Wilson, Kevin Wilson pulled up in a very nice Mercedes, got some petrol next to me around, around about that time. Do you think that those late 90s years in Chicago was probably peak Northampton life, wasn't it? With how coronavirus is now, everyone's down in the dumps. Well, to days, be honest with you, I mean, sizzling I, platter, have a, have a beer to... with Boy uh, Hunter. But listen, I don't want to overblow it too much, but you've got the you've got Atkins and the Cobblers doing what they did. We know all about that. You've got the Saints, who ended up European champions of rugby in 2000. You've got Diamonds and Ketrin, who I think in, what would it have been, 98, 99. I mean, they were, it was them, them and Cheltenham were in that three horse race for the, um, for the conference. So, I mean, Jen, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago in one of the pods. Didn't realise it at the time, but that was an amazing time for sport in the county. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a cricket man either, but um, I mean, Northampton is pathetic, me and cricket, but Northampton won something, didn't they, in 99 or 2000? I think it was the Cricket World Cup at the county ground in 99. It was, it was just a fantastic sporting time for the town and the county. Let's let's wrap up there, guys. Next week we're going to do um, instead of our favourite films, we're going to do, you know, what cobblers players would you have in the uh, hot tub pool party? So, <laughs> uh, Christian let's, Lee. Uh, Christian Lee is definitely a uh, is definitely up there, isn't he? But we can we'll talk about that next week. We're, we're going to do um, one a week. I'm not sure like how the preseason is going to play out and when football is going to start because I've had various different opinions on that, but. We'll do one a week and it goes out on a Friday night and we can, you know, exhaust all the cobblers stuff and then we'll go on to the usual um, North Ants TV stuff that really is keeping this podcast going. Let's face it, Andy. But, you know, cheers, guys. Thanks for uh, joining in this inane chat. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> do, do it again next all, week. Always, always good, Tom. Cheers, everybody.
Cheers, nice guys. Nice one. See you guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.